Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I make my own rules, one Bonko party at a time. I write history and I read celebrities. I am JMZ. Life is a classroom and I'm here to teach. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Historians on Housewives. You're here with me, Casey. Dr. Jane Mill, the millionaires. Max Beer, King of Kings. Lord of Lords. <laughs> <laughs> you Let's try this. Sorry, you, you just jump started me. When we talk we, when we talk about slavery, we're talking about a and you if you are a historian that does slavery in a particular kind of way. You're looking at it as a restorative practice. You're looking at it as a healing practice where you can shed, send light back to the ancestors. It's also a healing practice because in order to write about slavery, you have to work on yourself. You have to uh, protect yourself. You have to make sure you're healthy. You have to know how to deal with hauntings. And the guest we have today, Shawande Mustakin, has done all of this. She wrote an award-winning book called Slavery at Sea. She is a drummer, um, so we can say a musician who's created a soundscape to the Middle Passage, and then she's a metaphysical healer. And what you'll hear in this podcast is a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Um, we take seriously the work she did as a slavery scholar, but we also meet her in this moment where she's removed enough from the book that she can also think about ways in which to celebrate life and to do so in a spirit that still honors the dead, but also paves a way for people going on in the future. Shawande Mustakim is a writer, scholar, and professional historian of race, slavery, Reiki, medicine, violent studies, and the connection of pop culture and memory. She is a two-time award-winning author of Slavery at Sea, Terror, Sex, and Sickness in the Middle Passage. Welcome, Shawande Mustakim. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting. Would you like to share your Real Housewives tagline with everybody? Sure. The tagline that I found that I think really resonates is from season three with the Beverly Hill, Kim Richards. And she had said, life is a journey and I'm finding myself every day. Oh, and I love it really that. really resonates with where I am. <laughs> 
Oh, Shawande, I already have feelings. That's beautiful. Oh, mm-hmm. feelings. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> also, I love... I, I love, I've always loved that tagline from Kim Richards. I feel like it's very empowering. So I think it's empowering. I think it's also reflective of my life that every day I wake up to a newer me and it is finding myself and activating in new ways that it's like a whole new life every day. So this is a journey that is evolving in very interesting contours. I love it. You're awesome. You're awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank it's you. such good energy. Like I feel like an electricity. Ooh, thank you. I hear that a lot. That's good. Oh, wow. But I just want to say it is actually really good to see and hear you vibrating on this level. No pun intended. No pun intended. (laughs) Well, thank you. It's nice to be at this place vibrationally and also just where I am in my career and intellectually beginning to expand even more. And I'm excited to, to delve and exchange in some really exciting ways. That's so awesome. Cool. So I feel like I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my baby's on. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize how much I missed her. Look at my baby. My baby's done four books. Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> I just, okay, I'm I'm my, my whole body just feels like so like warm and like, like the nicest. Like I am just loving this already. Oh, we're going to get into why that's happening, too, but that's later in the conversation. I cannot wait. (laughs) So I was hoping that we could start um, with talking about your own academic journey. And, you know, um, you found this primary source from 1791 about an enslaved woman that you profiled in your article from 2011 um, she must go overboard. And I was wondering if you could talk to us about finding that primary source and how, you know, your academic journey has evolved and how that particular um, uh, source from that, about that woman has shaped your work. Sure, thank you. Thank you for that question and thank you for directing it back to perhaps the most important woman that has become a doorway to my entire evolution in an unexpected way. So to go at where we started, I was one of those in college who didn't know what I wanted to do. Oh, I'll take this. I'll take that. Maybe I'll do business. Couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. Took some African-American studies classes and was pulled to the side and told, you know, you're one of the most passionate students we've ever seen in African-American history. You should think about going into it. And originally I was like, oh, no, I'm going to go into business. I'm going to make money one day. And then basically by the end of college, essentially 20 years ago, I became the first person to ever graduate with a degree in African-American studies and history um, from Elon, then Elon College in North Carolina. Ooh, so, I feel like we need a clap for that. That's like a big thing. Thank you. Well, that's just only getting started because it seems like wherever I go, I write and I make history. So about that now. Yay. <laughs> so. So going from North Carolina, where, again, I was coming from Atlanta, and then to go to North Carolina and really have to refine myself in a completely different world, then it was, I knew that I needed to be somewhere else much bigger. I always knew that I belonged much in a, a much bigger vortex of 
of intellectual ideas. And I ended up going to the Ohio State and got my master's in, um, in black studies. That was life changing because then I was able to concentrate more on black experiences and understanding it from a variety of realms. But then I said, I can be good at a, at a lot of things, a little bit, know a little bit about a lot, but what about if we go concentrated? Let's go direct. And I applied to PhD programs all over and got rejected from every PhD program except one and got into uh, the Department of History to study the, be a part of the Comparative Black History doctoral program, the only program in the, in the country and the world that was designed to train students to study the experiences Black experiences of people throughout the diaspora within and beyond North America. And yours truly came in one of the few at that point saying, oh, I studied suicide in the Middle Passage. And that was a big thing for me because I had moved from studying the civil rights movement, women in the civil rights movement, to then moving to the Middle Passage. But then the longer I was in grad school, the more I got asked questions, well, what else? What about that? What does that mean? And how do we need to think about that? So that then would expand my view of trying to center the slave ship experience. And from there, that developed into a really important project that would help me to be a, a top pick, as some people would say, when I finished graduate school. And I never saw that coming because I always felt like I was, you know, just trying to find my way, didn't think I could write, didn't think I was that smart, didn't think I belonged. And then to, to find other people saw value in my ideas. So I got a two-year postdoc and a tenure-track job at Washington University in St. Louis, where I am now. And in fact, three years ago, I was the first Black person to get tenure in the history department um, on the tenure-track process. Thank you. So history continues to be made and the career expands and the book has become a, a, a very pivotal turning point in my life. So the evolution continues and book awards have come with the book, two awards since then. So the evolution and the journey is only just beginning. That's fabulous. Now, so so I want to go back. I want to go back as the in, the investigator. Um, I think that in your moustakeeming, I'm going to call it moustakeeming, talking, <laughs> right. talking about your own, you know, uh, positive spin on everything. I need to go back. So you did your PhD at Michigan State University. I did right. You yep. did it. You did it. Michigan State compared to Black Studies program as known for having faculty by the name of like Will McKing, Darlene Clark Hine, Paradise Bowie, uh, Wanda Oichabri, uh, Jessica Marie Johnson, Vanessa Holden. Yes, Vanessa Holden. LaShawn okay. Harris. Yes, LaShawn Harris. So you were there. Uh, now Tara uh, uh, Van Zandt and, 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 and Glenn Moore. A lot of people, right? Yes. Um, but you were one of the, you were one of this first kind of cohort of kind of like uh power people, right? Power people that came out. I think Felix and his, Felix Armfield and his class was before you, but you were one of really kind of the, the breakout stars. And so I want to acknowledge that, that you just didn't come oh, and like, you. and now I'm the first black uh, person with tenure at St. Louis uh, right. University. If you follow university gossip, you know, the St. Louis University didn't have a great track record tenuring black women. Washington so, University in St. Louis. Washington University in St. Louis, sorry. 
Sorry. I should know that because I have the largest endowment in the country. I know where you work. <laughs> I know where you work. Oh, you know, I, I know you know. It's because, you know, St. <laughs> yes. Louis University invited me and then to speak, and then that's where I thought. Yes, that's, that's right. When we connected for Women's History Month. Yes. Okay. So now, so then you became a Black Studies major and it changed your life before you went to grad school. Uh, I think that in this moment, uh, it, on the heels of Black Spring, that I'm really pushing people to get degrees in, in Black Studies because how else do you understand the U.S.? So that's my soapbox. I'm going to turn the time back to Max um, or Casey. I know you. Um, I was going to answer about interject. the... Um, I was going to say, can we talk a little bit about that woman? Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah, the primary source question. Yes, I forgot. I forgot yeah. about the woman. It was, okay. <laughs> it was kind of a two... It was a, it was a loaded first question, right? It really was. I see, and it's perfect. It's a perfect framing because let's, let's go to how did I find this woman or... An, how do we begin to reckon with those that we write about find us? Yeah. What happened is in 2003, there was a conference that emerged on New England slavery and the slave trade. And I applied to, or I submitted a paper just to see, you know, if I could be a part of the conversations. And it all worked out that I was invited to engage the director, Katrina Brown, with Traces of the Trade. But that also connected because I had uncovered that there was a black woman who was thrown overboard off of a slave ship, allegedly. And so it sort of parts there. So I was reading a book by Lorenzo Green. And within that, there was only a paragraph about the story. And, and I feel like it's going to sound cliche and how it all played out. But everything changed. There was one night I was reading the book and I fell asleep with the book on my head. And yet, when I woke up, I saw someone standing over my bed. I just saw a silhouette. And then from that moment, I will say that when I went to bed, I didn't think her story stood out to me compared to the significant moments of terror I had already seen in other ways. Um, so in this regard, it then changed where all of a sudden I began to think about someone who will be tied down, masked put around her eyes and her mouth and then to be tied down to a chair and intentionally left for dead in the middle of the Atlantic ocean. How cruel, how heinous. And then what would happen is that I would become exposed to it again through that book. But a friend of mine was in New York doing some research and I said, well, I'll come hang out with you at the New York historical society. And while I was there, I said, well, let me browse some things. And I, I could say, I don't know what led me, but I would say I'm sure her energy led me, but I went over to the card catalog and I just see this one. It was a slave miscellaneous sort of folder or note, note cards. And, and, and one thing led to more sources. Next thing you know, I was holding two primary sources that would be critical in telling her story about what happened. And, and this whole story with them or the entire moment of terrorism out in the middle of the ocean will become a doorway for me to begin to integrate black females centrally within a broader narrative of not only slavery, but slavery at sea, because we only imagine black men and adult women when we think about that. And that's in, in part because of the legacy of artwork. But nonetheless, it, this woman has become the framework and the doorway for me to begin to look for more of the unknown overlooked and what wasn't that bad. Wow. And, and, um, 
just because Max and I do assign that article from 2011, I want to cue to students that this is that story um, that comes from the slave ship Polly, correct? Yes, the slave ship Polly. Yeah. And going back to the title, I'm big on titles, evidenced by a lot of stuff I've written. But the whole title was intentional in order to garner more attention to an idea of females in slavery. So the having, she must go overboard and shall go overboard. And that was an exact quote that a ship captain would say. And then to be so intentional of what do we need to do to essentially get rid of this human being? So I wanted us to think in that way. But then the other part of the title, disease bodies and the spectacle of murder at sea. Mm-hmm. And that regards pushing back at this casual overlooking of death and murder. It's about centralizing. How do we look at people who are considered diseased? So we really, through this case, I was offering much earlier conversations for people to even think about quarantine, to even think about what we do when we're other people because of medical so-called difference or ill health. So that will become the beginnings of me looking more for where and how we treat people or how humans have historically treated each other and often very violent or just very, uh, and always creating that point of separation and, and division. So this, this case will be critical to open that gaze for me and hopefully other people. Yeah, it was, a, it's an, inc- I mean, your work is very powerful. Oh, thank you. I mean, there's also the component of that quote that I take from it that like the enslaved people who are, uh, beneath in the hull of the ship, if they know about what is happening to this woman, that they may try to do something to liberate her or to overturn control of the ship more actively than they were already working towards. And so like, she must go overboard. She shall go overboard. Sounds like it's a silencing and an acknowledgement of enslaved women's power within uh, maritime insurrections. Absolutely. And then it also invokes immediacy. I am yeah. demanding that she goes now. Yeah. And that then being critical to his profit. So with that framework, that is what would lead later on to me saying, what is this? And then to redefine it. There's slavery, there's slavery at sea. But then what happens when we show and we create a concept? talk about but the human manufacturing process we've never really stopped to think about that is what it is it's a business based on people mm-hmm. and predicated upon this idea over and over yeah yeah and so from this article it sort of leads us into your first book slavery at sea terror sex and sickness in the middle passage and it's really an important book about um Social histories produced between um, enslaved people, captains, sailors, and surgeons aboard slave ships. Um, can you talk a little bit about mm-hmm. what were these interactions like, and how did these uh, ships regulate and surveil enslaved people in ways not unlike um, slave plantations? In other words, how is the system of slavery much more than a land-based phenomenon? Very interesting question. I love it because a lot of people never really, we don't know what to do with water. We don't know what to do with that which is in between nations and the spaces that we can say 
that we can see and we can walk on. So then there are other worlds that are unseen because we don't live out in the middle of the ocean. And so we go and we think about these interactions. They are very sea-based. They're relying on a whole other set of technology, nature, but also close proximity to one another. So this is where we're seeing the beginnings of white fears of black bodies. This is where we're beginning to see the hyper surveillance. You can't move without me telling you where and how. You can't have a drink. You can't have food. You can't even be clean until I determine what little bit that maybe you deserve. So fundamentally, these interactions were terror centric. I can't say it enough. And I feel like we haven't said it enough that we have to really think about where terrorism and black history begins within this diasporic experience it becomes solidified most concretely on slave ships. That is not to say it does not begin in its own way of creating these violent realities that do start on land. And so that's where within all of this, I wanted to go from a point of capture to a point of sale to make it violent in every, on every page to make people feel because we begin to look at what does it mean to be contained and confined? What does that look like in its regulation? So in that regard, it's turning attention to how, sure, some people may jump overboard, but some people may hang themselves. Some people may, again, it becomes very a psychological battle that we haven't even thought about. But then let's think about that everyone did not come in the same. So this is where the body can essentially take on a whole new battlefield between pregnant women. We haven't even considered the different types of females. So in all of that, we're thinking about the experiences over and over. I wanted people to begin to imagine a full variety of people. It's not about one particular group, but it's about many, many genders, many, many just bodies. Um, and another thing that I wanted to call attention to that, what makes it much more than a land-based phenomena is again, there are no sharks on land. There are, it, you know, just again, this whole history of and blood and the bones that would lie at the bottom of the ocean. We don't have that on land. However, the beginnings would start. And this is where I was arguing for the making and the unmaking of enslaved people that would not begin on plantations. Because how did they get there? Because again, a lot of people bypass that very process, but we got to look at what did that process do in the solidifying of these ideas of business and the constant, the, the, again, the ever-present continuity of violence as its own language, perhaps even a currency, if we begin to think about that, it's just over and over the exacting of violence that I wanted to make central while also getting us to think about the role of the medical world that also is equally as violent. We've got to think about, again, value or devaluation. We hadn't even thought about disability. So when we look at regulation, surveillance, and the system itself, is comprised of much more than what we what we had looked at for 120 years until my book. So I really tried to center new conversations um, in that way. I mean, awesome. I don't even know how we deconstruct everything that you just said there. <laughs> I mean, there are so many questions. I mean, this is probably going to have to be a podcast of like three or four episodes. Um, Can we quickly get the uh, awards acknowledged that the book won? Yeah. We should do yes, that. please. Okay. So off, what, off the top of your head, acknowledge these awards. <laughs> oh, sure. It 
won the 2017 Wesley Logan Prize from the American Historical Association, which is also shared with the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. Um, and that was voted for the best book for the history of the African diaspora. And then in 2020, it received the Dred Scott Freedom Award for Historical Literacy Excellence. Wow. So, That's so great. exciting. And it is, it is, uh, I went to the African American History Museum within the first yes. few months of its opening, and it is poised right there prominently at the, in the African American History Museum. I'm yes. sorry? After I get so many pictures from the museum, people will say, I see your book at the museum. <laughs> so I'm grateful. And it's it continued to be invoked. In fact, it was just um, among uh, the 13 must read if you really want to understand, if you want to go serious and deep within history. Uh, it was on the Washington Post recent 13 must read. Nice. That's awesome. Nice. So, yeah. Hard work pays off. Thank it you. It does <laughs> pay off. It all, it all pays off. It's the tenacity, right? So, Shawanda, I'm, I'm, yes. I have a question, but I'm also very tentative about asking you it because I know kind of the energy you bring with you. So you've talked a little bit about how you feel that this woman chose you, right? And you know, when mm-hmm. I speak about charity folks, she definitely chose me. Um, Max and yeah. I talk all the time about the kind of um, things that can haunt you when you do slavery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. go, go. Uh, again, I, I, I remember what you were like at the end of your book. And I could tell that you had been in tune in a different level. Like almost like that third, not even almost like the third eye level, right? Um, And so in layman's terms, what was your experience uh, like of writing these, uh, about these primary sources and what, what, what kind of feelings did it evoke talking about, well, communing with these spirits, right? A black woman that were left for dead in the ocean or would show up and writing through them. So that's, that's a long way of saying, how did you make it through? What did you see and how did you make it through in layman's terms? Sure. In layman's terms. And you know why I'm saying that. Because I don't want to unleash something that can't not be put back in the box. So in layman's terms. Right. Well, let's start with what a lot of people, only because now I'm starting to share more about mm-hmm. the evolution, even of my own awakening. The truth is that I was very grateful in the interactions were much more subtle uh-huh. so that I could focus in the archive. I could feel led. And I, at the time, I didn't even realize. I, that's the thing, to where that you're an open channel and that you can be drawn to things. It's a magnetism. But nonetheless, the draw and the energy to really answer a question is what drove me to not only the primary sources, but really to get me to go to 25 archives across the world. So that was Uh personal drive and constantly trying to answer a deeper question. But yet it was over time that more began to, as my awareness was growing, then it was more towards the, really the ending of the book where it was a culmination of me understanding these little small subtle moments that would happen while in the writing process, while in the doing the research, but then where I was interacting more with spirits from from the book. So nonetheless, early on, I was very much in 
full logical intellectual mode and fully focusing on trying to tell these stories without, you know, I needed, I needed the real history and the depth of it to be there. And so I was very focused in that way. And now where I'm at in the evolution, I can see much more that has been going on. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So, I mean, you, you understand why I'm my, tentative. You understand why I'm tentative about this. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, very much. But I also want to, when we think about interactions with spirits, they come in different forms. So to just see a silhouette of somebody standing over your bed, and then that's it. That could be, you almost, you could question it. Was that real? Did I see that? And then yet you can see in your own life how things can change. But then when I think about another particular woman that found me, this is where I had to reckon with what does it mean to have gifts? What does it mean uh-huh. so there is more than just seeing and hearing? That meant I smelled this woman. I have the ability to smell uh-huh. into the world. And that gets uh-huh. into the multi-layers and gifts that we haven't fully acknowledged because we're not at a place where we're really even ready to, to see a variant of psychics, of psychic mediums, of shamans and so we're we're, we're we're edging but we're not there and that really goes back to the 20th century a whole other car, other conversation that has led us to where we are awesome um do, do we either of you have follow-up questions from that very very rich kind of i mean the fact the fact that you smell them i i, I mean i know i know this about you uh casey mack <laughs> you have any follow-up questions is think, your mind blown? I think oh. hearing, I think hearing you speak, it it like brings me back to this notion: that the mm. project chooses you. Yes, the project, our projects choose us. We do choose it, but we are a part of a vibrational exchange, and it all is a part of our living. That there are these moments that are set to activate us, and this book, and my digging for the sources, and my becoming relentless. It. Yeah really allowed me to become much more open in saying, I want to tell your story. But then we go back to, I've always known this, but it was suppressed. That meant at the age of about four or five, I predicted what I do now. Well, my mother said, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, oh, mom, don't worry. We'll be famous. <laughs> I said, what do you want to do when you grow up, Shawande? And I said, mom, I'm going to study ghosts and murder. And she said, do not say that out loud. And of course, now I've said it out loud. And that's what I do. I study ghosts and murder and violence and all of these ways that I deal with the discomfort and the bloody so that we can have a much deeper conversation about the full human experience. Yeah. Could you talk to us a little bit about the way that you handle the radical self-care of, of doing this kind of emotional work. And I know that that's something that Jessica and Max also talk a lot about, um, you know, as they go through archives and, and work through their writing process. And I think it's a really important question um, to kind of meditate on. It is very important. And I, I, I will, I will make a nod to the expansion of these conversations. I feel like in grad school, there wasn't enough. Most people weren't asking about self-care. They were saying, why would you do that? You know, because a lot of people wouldn't want to live with that discomfort of slavery in that way. But that said, 
where it has evolved, I've come to make more room to, to step away from that world, from that world of violence. Because I, I never, it, for me, it was constant. It never stops. And so that's one thing to begin to create new boundaries that, okay, one day I have to have off. But then it is also recognizing when it, like, my emotions can go up. So then I get a massage. I now have gotten into this thing called float, where you go and float in. Oh, yeah. It's so amazing. That is, they, yes. that is so Orange County. Like, that is so, I haven't done oh. so Orange County. Oh, it's, 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 it's amazing. But I will also tell you that, and I'm so glad to use the word meditate on it because meditation is so central to my life. And that has been an evolution because I was unsure about academia for a moment and I, I, I left for a two-week silent meditation. And then when I came back, and was coming back almost like 10 people. I became much more clear in, again, the need for space and then that whole ability to go within. So not only was I beginning to all of a sudden get into hot yoga as well as various types of meditations, but then I started leading meditations and doing shamanic drum meditations, developing drum dance classes. And so I began to sort of create what I know that I needed, which was more than what academia and the intellectual world will ever make space for, maybe we will in the future, which is that we have to have that balance or else we will burn out. So I come from a mother who believes in that self-care that you also can have at home. So I really do believe in a really good foot massager, a really good hand massager, all kinds of, you know, nice tools and things like that at home. Um, so, yeah. And then crystals. I know how to vibrationally work with myself. So I strategically have crystals placed throughout wherever that I am at work, at home. And I use it because it changes to get more grounded in where I am. So my tools are very, they're varied in a lot of ways that a lot of people may not always center, but for me, it's my reality. I feel like, I don't know if you saw Max smiled really big. Uh, I feel like you validated him in a lot of ways because as he has been researching and writing, he's gotten way more into meditation and um, mm. he's he's been into hot yoga for years, but recently he's been waking up having dreams that like he needs to teach the yoga class. <laughs> wow! I, I had, that is so awesome. That's a, that's tapping into your kundalini. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really want to try kundalini yoga. Uh, with pandemic though, that all those dreams sort of ended. Oh, um, that's a lot of that change. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had to stop doing oh. hot yoga because um, I was at a, a like a Bikram yoga studio that uh, they yeah. used carpet as the like. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And it ended up giving me uh, MRSA. And so I had to basically all but oh. stop. But I love doing hot yoga, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah I was so. I was I don't know how was doing it but at one point i was doing it three times a day oh my god i was doing it three Whoa. times a day. I, I i was i was just on another level and again my kundalini was rising and then i would meditate sometimes eight hours eight times a day i became obsessed with meditation because it was like i could go so deep and then my clarity of writing and all of this was happening 
And also, I then found a yoga music festival. So I wanted to really just be in the places that brought more peace. So that has been my way of self-care is where can I, if it's at home or if it's going other places, where can I find my peace and my joy? Is that leading a drum circle with the community? Because drums are another way of let it out, you know, de-stressing, but beginning to really step into that more as we all are thinking about energy and as we're thinking about vibrations, there's, there's the ways to be a part of it and make it a part of your life. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. It's like a, meditation Thank in particular you. is really a way of like blowing away all the cobwebs sort of the analogy I've used. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like just gives such clarity. Thank you for that. It, it does. And I do sound bowls as well. I play space drums. Oh, I, I, I work wow. with tuning I'm a Reiki master. I, I am fully deep steeped in vibration. So I feel everything because I immerse myself in that way of, I want it to go to the cellular level. I want to feel the universe. And then when I write, I want you to feel. <laughs> I I am so excited. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, you know, listen. I, Can I ask a I question? I don't even know where to... Sure. <laughs> Shawande, sure, the mean, historians on Housewives know. have really... We've talked for a long time about getting into Reiki together. Oh. At some point, would you be willing to, like, maybe do, like, a little Reiki meditation with us someday? Sure, I would. Yeah, we can talk about distant healing, and we can talk about just sort of how you can have remote senses and connecting with that. I would love it. Again, I am a Karuna... Tibetan, Yusui, Reiki master, as well as Brahmin. So I'm on like all the levels and I'm a rare one, but vibrationally it is about having that shamanic eye to know how to connect vibrationally with other people. So you can count on it. I would love it. I would be honored. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Yeah, there's oh, just like you. there's so much oh, energy that just exudes, <laughs> and it's like amazing because like this is over Zoom. I mean, even coming Dude. into this conversation today, you know, we were dealing with. Um, a baby that's going through some growth challenge but like um he he's having growing pains at the moment and just oh, like okay. listening to you today like just sort of blew all that away of like, like all really that all the, the energy in yeah. the house yeah well apparently my voice does that see remember i told you at the beginning we were going to get into that so before i started i called in energy into this entire section i'm like this is about to set a new stage and if we even looked at the dates of today, it all adds up to this energy of setting a new stage in evolution so we can see ourselves in a whole new way. But it is calling in energy so we all can feel good. We all can find our voice. We all can be activated in the subtle, in the unseen, as well as the seen. You feel it. You feel good. Mm-hmm. And, and what, imagine that. Vibrations come through our voice, just talking. And then our voices can change and transmute and let go of the lower vibrations. So, oh yeah, you're in, you're in the Moose King world. This is like my reality. So <laughs> I love it. I love sharing it. <laughs> okay. So Moose King world, Moose King world. This is perfect. I have a two part, maybe a three part question. So on real house, okay. are you ready? Are you ready? So this will, I'm ready. I'm so ready. This will tap into your lecturing um, skills. So on real housewives of Beverly Hills, there is this gentleman named Aaron who is married to um, Denise Richards. Uh, oh, J- Janice Richards, the, the ex-wife of Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. And Aaron, throughout this entire season, has talked about his vibration therapy. And, mm. and no one knows what that is, and he doesn't oh, really wow. describe it. So we just had an episode where we were like, we don't really know what Aaron does. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading your, your book, your other books, your, your cosmic books, empowerment, the cosmic books, empowerment by the cosmic doc. And I said, wait, there, this is a real thing. He's really Mm -hmm. doing a real thing. So can you tell us what like vibrations, vibrating, vibrating therapy, what, what is this? I mean, I mean, I don't expect you to do it in a sentence. Just make us understand Aaron's world a little bit. Sure. Well, essentially vibrations, it is, it is equated with energy. It is, something that can be feel uh, that people can feel and and we can feel it in uh, a variety of ways. So that means I could hit a tuning fork and then it would vibrate. There would be these frequencies that will come out. They, they will emanate in different ways that resonate with the body, resonate with the mind. So there's a variety. This is now a new trend, but there is a variety of more conversations on vibrational medicine, vibrational therapy, vibrational, just really connecting with that essence. There's the high vibrations. There's the low vibrations. So it's becoming more part of our everyday lexicon, but we got to go deeper to understand even the basics. And in looking at these cosmic empowerment books that I'm so grateful I was able to tap into, then it is where let's just go basic. 
your name and your birthday, any number and any letter is a vibration. So if I hear vibrational therapy, I'm like, wow, that could be a lot of things. Because I feel like, not just that I feel like, I know it. This is a 24-7 reality that I can touch things. I can look at things. I can feel the vibration. And it can have effect on us. We're so unaware if we borrow somebody's clothes that we then act like them. Vibrations are so direct that yet some of us can see it and feel it in, in, in the moment someone talks or the moment someone comes in the room. And then there can be the vibrational, the traces, the residue, if you will. Some people like me, I can pick up on vibrations in food. I can pick up on what people are thinking and feeling when they made that food because food is a con for vibrations and energy. So that's where they sort of say, really think about well, being really careful about your thoughts when you're cooking, because then you can transfer a whole other energy to other people. So in essence, vibration is a whole other universal energy that permeates between people, things, animal, all across this planet and throughout the multiverses. And vibrations then become a thread between time and space. And we are all in one. And yet we are coexisting in many worlds at once. It's all in perception of belief. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Thank you. I mean, really, I mean, we could be here for hours. Whoa. Um, That's what happens when we talk with me. <laughs> I mean, I know this. I warned them. I'm like, this is going to be, we're going to get a lot. We're going to get a lot, but whoa. Before um, I was, you know, um, before I was like really into my pregnancy, one of the things that Max and I really loved to do for the vibration was we would go to a weekly like Reiki restorative yoga on Wednesday night. And, um, you know, our Reiki master, she had her crystals. And once a month, there was a live celloist. And he would play the cello. Oh, nice. And our Reiki master would play the crystal bowls. And yes. there was something wow. about... Be beautiful. Yeah, there was something about that combination, right? That like the meditation and you know the you know the restorative yoga aspect was always just so wonderful but then adding in the vibration of the cello and the bowls it was just I can't describe like the openness that you would feel by the time you left right you were just very um renewed feeling I feel it through you so how about that? We never stop to think about that. We can feel through someone else's experience that have already happened. So of course, then someone will say, well, how would you know that? But yet I can feel that it opened your heart and that it brought this intern. It's almost like I could feel the tears of joy and of depth that just came through you, that it was such a heart opener. But again, you know, what, what is time travel? How can you feel what other people feel? We're not at that place where we even stop to think about that. Well, let's go to time travel for a minute. That wasn't Ooh, my question, right. but let's go to time travel for a minute. Because <laughs> I, I, I believe that historians, historians have to embrace time travel in a certain way. Oh, yeah. It takes us not just, not just the books and kind of imagine, right? Not just imagine what our people went through. But there are times, literally, when you're so steep into what you're doing, I do think that you can travel across through different, uh, through different eras. Um I don't Absolutely. smell. I don't mm -hmm. smell. I'm, I'm like you. I don't smell, but I it, it does radiate light. I know from different places where it's 
um, light in some ways speaks to me across time. It, it's not smell. It, it, it's light for some reason. I know. And I can feel the light hitting you in your eyeballs. I can feel exactly how it penetrates you. in you. You're so welcome because I can feel it beaming out of you. Thank you. Thank you. I think my gift is to shed light, to, to, to send light back into history, right? And I think oh, that's yes. where where healing takes place, right? I think mm-hmm. that you, you, I mean, slavery scholars in general, I think that there's one set of scholars that talk about the atrocities, yes. and they some, can sometimes do it in the very way that they're very disassociated. Mm-hmm. And those are the people, I argue, that can go on and write more and more books. Um, right. about the topic and then there's some people that are get they're they're too sensitive they are they are sensitive but they are too sensitive i remember when deborah gray white said after aren't i a woman that she would never do a book on slavery again and you know mm-hmm. as, as a grad student i'm like what's she talking about right oh my goodness you oh see why? my goodness Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. There is a reason why after I did my book, um, when two people came and said, we want to do a podcast that brings reality, television, and history scholarship to life. Yes, I'll do that. Anything that, yes. anything that it radiates light and can bring me joy, I think is very important um, when you do some of this kind of work. So this time travel piece, oh, I mean, I think it, I think it happens to some of the best historians. Nell Painter, remember Nell Painter was talking about how she often convened with Sojourner Truth. We know that Toni Morrison was visited by Beloved, but I think the best historians, not necessarily novelists, novelists I think are already tuned that way to go back and forth through time. But right. great historians, I think, travel back in time more than they, more than they would admit. I agree. And then what happens, it's sort of like the never ending story. What happens yeah. when that book opens it up because it's not going to close. And for a lot of people think, okay, good, you know, we're done with that. On to the next. Well, for me, I was born this way. And then it is coming to the awareness of when did it start? When did it intensify? And then you mentioned about the sensitivity. I realized that I am way more vibrationally sensitive now that would have made writing that book and the entire process so much harder. Evidenced by the fact mm. I really, I can't even really hold my own book because when I hold it, I experience what they call psychometry, where essentially I can feel everything coming through an object. In this regard, I can feel all mm-hmm. of the stories of terror, and all of it, all the heartbreak, I can feel it. In the same way, I can pick up a, um, I can pick up a stone. I can feel those vibrations. Uh-huh. I can feel those vibrations. So, it. This is where I'm grateful that the universe was kind to let me be become more sensitive later on, or else that book could have not gotten written. It could have. It, it could have destroyed you. It could have destroyed it you. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I. I mean, I. I mean, uh, come on. I saw you. It could have destroyed you. Um, yeah. And I'm actually glad you weren't that sensitive as well. Um, random question. Random question. How do you deal with stones? How do you deal with the bloodstone? I've just you just triggered something. Do you do you have a reaction to the bloodstone? What's the bloodstone? Ever, ever, the bloodstone is one of the most powerful of all stones. They also call it the Jesus stone because you know allegedly he died. Well, not allegedly. <laughs> I am a Christian. But um, it is so powerful, it's believed to keep, uh, carry the blood from his tears. Some people can wear the bloodstone and have no problem, but other people can't be around the bloodstone because it'll take all their power. 
you know, like it absorbs all this power. So I have a reaction next to bloodstones. It happened to me at the dog park. I was talking to some woman and I tried to get near her, but she had a bloodstone and it kind of, I, it, it, I backed up. Like I could tell it was trying to suck, suck. That's so powerful. Kind of power. I love it. I, yes. So, have you had any interaction with um, the bloodstone or stones at all? Let me tell you, you're you're you're, you're talking about the the crystal world. All crystals do have a a certain frequency that that it emanates, right? And uh, bloodstones, I haven't worked with as much. I will tell you, I can feel all, all the energy and how it would affect me if, say, I was wearing it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but what is interesting when I heard, when I heard what you just shared, I just thought about at work or in, in, in certain places, I'm, I use a, a another stone called selenite and selenite will it? help clear out lower vibrations. Yes. Well, I have it strategic. So that means where I'll see people try to bogart into my magnetic field and they can't get past. It's almost like watching some vampire show where they're like, let me in. But they can't cross the threshold because I've created my own protective barrier. Now, you say bloodstone is the most powerful. What I would say that could blow you to the spots off of you is Moldavite. Moldavite, wow, that thing is an activator. It will, some people can't even be in the same room as that crystal. But for me, my favorite crystal of choice is Carnelian. Carnelian has helped me finish every single book I've written. I have two pieces of Carnelian sitting right here. That way we're being productive. We're keeping it moving. We're getting clarity. We're getting focused. So all vibrations begin to induce and trigger certain vibrations that it's about working with that, that energetic world. I even tell parents, like, if you want to begin to sort of soften the energy within the home, maybe get some love quartz, put it throughout the home then you yeah, want to get more grounded yeah but put it throughout you want to get grounded get some hematite you know there's mm-hmm. all different ways you want tiger's eye woo to go deep to see through them all kinds of bs so that's how i use crystals as a tool to help me to upgrade and to begin to be more clear in discerning where and how or the the, the, the more precise ways to move forward on my path this brings me wow. back to uh when Shannon Bedore, housewife of Orange County, went into how she had to have X number of crystals and a certain kind of crystal in each room of her home, right? That it was this whole process that she went through with like a team of people to figure out her home crystal situation on her first season of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. The housewives are all. We're going to have more of those home. in the future. That's great. So, mm-hmm. so Shawan Davis, so since we're on, since we're indulging all my little um, questions, um, so I love Hollywood medium. I love yes. little Tyler Perry, uh, Tyler Perry. Tyler <laughs> <Henry>. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I said Hollywood medium, not Hollywood Medea. But um, <laughs> um, I love Tyler, Tyler Henry and Holly. Thank you. Tyler uh, Henry and Hollywood medium. But of course, people have said that it, this is all for show and for Hollywood. And, um, you know, is there any kind of overlap about what Tyler is doing and some of the things you've seen? Um, you know, I mean, Tyler's had things like, it, it sounds so horrible now that I'm saying it, even though I'm so involved in it. You know, he's had Latoya Jackson on. He had the yes, Kardashians, Kardashians. On. 
But I do think on some levels he might hit some registers. Um, do you think, one, that he's legitimate, allegedly that he's legitimate? And two, do you see in kind of how you're negotiating life and time traveling and speaking with people, do you see any kind of overlap? Oh, in the type of work um, mm-hmm. that we do or the gifts. But let me go back and say, I'm so delighted when I see shows like this because it's like seeing yourself. And then for me, I can see through vibrationally where basically a real or where someone is so-called fake or however the terms that we would say. Some people, let's just say that some people are more advanced than others. I would say that he's legitimate because I can feel what he feels through the people that he sees. So that is Whoa. where, for me, I was fully engaged. I was picking okay, up great. on what he was saying to them, but even more than what he was decoding, because then you add in the, the spirit science of the letters. I understand Tyler Henry even more than he might, because I understand what the letters tell me about him and his past. In the same way that Jessica understand yours and Max understand yours and Casey, because we are here. Part of our soul contract is connected to the vibrations of which is, is anchored in our name. And that tells us why we're going through what we're going through. So all that said, all the episodes that I watched, I was fully in, as I always am, because I love how vibrations allow us to connect. How I can look at something in TV and then essentially travel through back into that time and pick up on it and feel it. So... He's legitimate in my eyes. I see it. I feel it. To feel it is to know. Feeling for me is my validation of, is this real? Are we on to it? Now, there's also a particular type. And I say that because I'm recognizing that where I fall on a base level would be a psychic medium. And then what that means that I can tell you about the person. And then I also can be that medium, that messenger between worlds. Whereas not every medium can, can, can sort of tap into the psychic element. It can be more about, okay, sort of these, these other multiverses. So they're each one, like no gift is ever the same. So we really can't even compare people. But at the same time, we look at certain people have a variety of, of gifts and tools that they're able to, to help, you know, advance sort of the universe and where we're at. But he and I are very much, align in that ability to connect with other people's magnetic field because I love how he didn't want to know who's coming. Well, Mm -hmm. when I wake up, I already kind of feel what's coming. People don't surprise me. So that means somebody's coming. My house is shaking. You get on my street, the house is shaking. Things, these subtleties that someone texts me, I can pick up on your energy. I can smell people through the phone, all kinds of things. So that's a whole other level that we haven't gotten into. But I showered today, by the way, I showered. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're clear. <laughs> oh, it's, I tell you, it's so vibrational in the Moose King world. <laughs> but I enjoyed this. I'm really glad that you called attention to Tyler Henry as well as Hollywood medium. But then I also, just as a black woman, I've found myself realizing I'm in two worlds that never collide. In one world, it's like I'm making history and, wow, Shwani Moose King, wow, this is great. And then in another world, such an unknown and then overlooked because I'm black. Because now the 20th century design has worked. We forget that you even had African-Americans who were central to this whole evolution of vibration and energy that is connected with so-called icons that we would think about historically 
so that now we're still laughing at Miss Cleo. I say it over and over because we we might hang on the ghost with Whoopi Goldberg, but look how long ago that's been. We're, oh. We might get there a little bit with the series on Netflix, yet it might be in another language. So that also speaks to our willingness and really Hollywood to say there's only a certain archetype, i.e. white people then can define these worlds of the living and the so-called dead. How much power is anchored in that? And then what does that mean when we all of a sudden begin to diversify? We begin to think about race in the new age. We begin to have to all of a sudden imagine or really not even imagine, reckon with what if you have a black female a professional historian that happens to be a psychic medium? And then then you're getting into a whole other level of depth and many worlds that become connected. But some people, they're not, they're unwilling to handle that. It becomes it's only one way because they're only predicating it on a certain audience. But hopefully the future will go deeper to see, i.e. basically more diverse types of mediums and psychics and shamans and all of it and healers. I love it. Oh, I love it. What I'm so glad you came on. I so, I'm so glad you came oh, on. What I've, um, what's kind of occurred to me as, as I've been listening to you and Jessica, talk about your experiences with um, sensing the past um, yes. is that so um, Jessica is speaking about her sensing light and you talking about how you sense smell I found that what I tend to spend sense the most is sound um, that would make sense. That would totally make sense. And this is yeah. a and this is a segue because um, the word you're really the first historian that I know of that has put out a soundtrack to your own book. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I have been so drawn to that in just my own research and and trying to think about experiences of enslaved captives aboard ships. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the creative process that you and your band um, Amalgamy um, put into making this album? Sure. Thank you. And I want to start with the name Amalgamy. It, there's always intention and method to the madness. Always, wherever I am, there's always something else going on. So Amalgamy is amalgamation plus alchemy. Basically, this whole mix of new types of people that will come together to activate in whole new ways, to produce and come together and creating a whole new form of sound. So, i.e., at the end of the day, you have me, a female who has been, who for many years have been drumming with male drummers and then beginning to tap into how do we use drums. And, of course, it links to the book as well because seeing the drum is a portal between worlds. Now, what I wasn't, well, I could feel it. I knew it was coming and I had to trust when the moment would come. What that means is I always knew that I would want music connected with what I was producing. Because even when I wrote the dissertation, I had you know, openings of different sort of um, lyrics from different songs that I could feel resonated with what I was trying to write. So then years later, when I look at what was happening, there were two things happening at once. When I would drum, I would go into trance. And what happened is that we had a full extensive library where I said, I, there are songs that we've done 
that really replicate what I was trying to create in writing. So I went deep. I called on to the universe and I'm like, okay, I really want this to be able to connect with these vibrations of sound, sound healing, but also immersion so we can then feel all over again. What does it mean to read about slavery and then to have a musical sort of nod towards the past in drums, but then also in poetry and all the various things that you see represented that I just love and connecting with and meeting all these different musicians here in St. Louis has opened me up to storytelling through sounds. All that said, I really, I got into it. I knew it was going to take off and I was strategic that I released it six months after the book had come out. And in that way, it allowed the book to come out all over again. It was very strategic also in that each, each song has, it matches the chapter title. So that way people can even go to that chapter and Think about what am I feeling or what am I hearing that maybe, you know, can allow people to sort of have a parallel connection with, with all of this. Yep. Uh-huh. There's also um, interludes uh-huh. in the album as well. It's not just, I mean, it is a mirror of each chapter, but I'm interested in the process of constructing those I think it's like two or three interludes as well, where yeah, there's sure. actual um uh, speaking. Invocation of words yeah. and speaking and yeah. singing. Sure. So I opened up in this way because there, there's a shaman. There's many shamans around me. That is really what is, and I see myself in that capacity as well. But to have an opening and a call, the opening of these worlds into our human world and into the multiverse, that's where it begins. And we're starting there. Um, and then we have that set me free. That's the poem that you would hear by Victor Farwell. He's been very close for many years. And when he read my book, he, he spirit moved through him and he wrote that poem. And it just really hit me because when we began to acknowledge the past in this way, he also drums with us. So that's why I wanted him a part of it for him to share that vibration, what he felt after reading slavery at sea um, in his earlier version. But then in ending, I wanted to round it all out where we're using sound as another way of uh, activation for people to hear me sing. And when, then we are singing in like Native American language a little bit more, but integrating these worlds and then bringing together the drum, but then also reading from the book. I knew, well, you know, you can read the book. Maybe you'll read it. And that's what also this book soundtrack relied upon the fact that everybody doesn't read. Some people want to feel this history or feel what can be imagined and it has been tremendous in how people have responded to this because so I think you've even noting which is true this is the only one that I know of the only book with a soundtrack in this way with a band as opposed to all these songs inspired this book no I was a part of the musical production so then that becomes history making all over again and I mean yes there is a soundtrack to this book but like Among Me is super prolific I don't want to like minimize how many <laughs> different albums With your over group 90. Has. Yeah, it's like 92 albums. <clears throat> what? Yes. What? Yes. Yeah. And then Jessica, can I'm you now- tell that we're big fans? <laughs> I can see. Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. And then since then, I have partnered with even more musicians. And then I even came out with another album last fall 
with another musician. It was an ish amalgamy collaboration. That's the Black Light Sessions. And then I wrote all the songs on there. I'm singing. That's a whole other side of me. So what happens when you, what happens when you are, so I, was, I, I say to people, it's truthful, that my mother raised me to be great. You can be good at any mm-hmm. and everything you want to do with good time management. Now, on top of that, then what happens when you're even more than what you imagine? And so it is embracing all of that. And I, I struggle with it. With I thought, okay, to be academic is this, but then I know I've always kind of operated to my own beat. Now we're trying to bring it all together. And then I bring all of that into the classroom. I bring it into just my whole world because it all has a place in the healing because my first name actually means a wise healer and a seer who can see between worlds. And then my last name means straightforward on the path, clear and direct on the path. Straight. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really cool. Wow. Thank you. I feel it. Wow. Thank you. You feel it. Woo. <laughs> wow. So <Queen. laughs> where did we go after that? <laughs> Ah. typically you would hear me say something along the lines of stay tuned for part two of our exciting interview with Shawande Mustakim as Max plays our historians on housewives original music and fades it out and part one of our episode so today we're going to play for you the first track in Amalgamy's soundtrack to slavery at sea you can find the album on Bandcamp, and we really encourage you to check out shawande's book her articles and of course this album and with that max is gonna take it away
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 